Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Catherine Lasky. Uh, Catherine is the author of over 100 books uh, for children and young adults, which is just crazy. Uh, she's uh, Some of those books include The Guardian's of Gahul series, which is more than 8 million copies in print and was turned into a major motion picture called The Legends of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul. Uh, her newest book is, is titled Light on Bone, A Mystery. Uh, so, so just oh, so much fun experience that we'll get to unpack here, writing children's books, writing young adult books, uh, writing a mystery novel, turning your book into a movie. Like there's so much that we can talk about. Uh, including the new book that's out. So, Catherine, welcome. Oh, welcome. Very happy to be here. So, so why books? You're a prolific writer. You've written a ton of books. H- how'd you get started, and 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 why why have you focused so much of your time and energy on books? Well, I, I guess it's process of elimination. I, I'm <laughs> good at other things. I'm not a singer. Uh, I'm not a you know particularly athletic. But, um, you know, when I was little, I just read like, I mean, I still read like crazy. So I thought, well, if I could be a professional reader, I'd do that. I mean, this is when I was really, and then I thought, well, maybe I could just be a writer, you know, uh, or a librarian. <laughs> it's just a passion for books. And it's hard to se- separate for me, reading from writing just mm. sort of comes and, naturally. And was it always that way? Did, were you always, did you always read and write regularly or was that something that kind of developed over time? Well, uh, I read regularly, surely I read. And then I I started writing, you know, when, and I was an English major in college. And then I started writing a little bit, um, but just, I, after I graduated from college, I was a copywriter for a magazine, a fashion magazine, which I didn't particularly like that. Uh, and then I, oh, and then I went and I got a master's degree in early childhood education. And that sort of put me mm. on the path to children's books. And so my first book were children's books. Mm. So that and was then how... How old were you when you wrote your first book? Uh, and how old were you when you published your first book? Well, when I wrote and published, well, it was, um, let me just think. I was about 30. And I was about 30 when it, or 31 when it was published. It was a very short book. And it was called I Have Four Names for My Grandfather. And it was about, and my husband's a, a really good photographer. He used to work for National Geographic. So it was a, a, a sort of photo story for little kids. 
And it was just kind of like a day in the life of a grandfather and his grandson. And the grandfather was my father and the grandson was my sister's little boys. Um, I didn't have any children of my own. And I, it just got snapped up. And uh, I kept writing. Well, this is good. And then I moved into longer books and novels mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Sort of like you're you, building a muscle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you, uh, did you self-publish, traditionally publish that first book? No, no, it was published by Little Brown. Okay. And how'd you how'd you get your first publishing deal for children's book as a first-time author? Oh, well, this would never happen anymore. But I was going to submit it and write a letter and blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I, Little Br I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is right across the river from Boston. And Little Brown at that point was in Boston. And I was, I said to my husband, why don't I send this in? And he said, why don't you, instead of sending it in, and we hadn't even sh um, shot the pictures. I had the manuscript, very short manuscript, but we put in some sample pictures. And my husband said, well, why don't, why don't you call up and, and ask to talk to the children's book editor there? And I said, oh, I don't know. You know I'm sort of shy. And, one way and he said no do it so I called up and this guy I didn't expect it he answered his own phone and so there were no layers to go through and so I just I sort of hemmed and hawed around I said oh you know I've written this book about a grandfather and a grandson and what they do on a day they spend together and he said oh that sounds great I was just thinking about we need more intergenerational books and stuff like that. I said, well, I'll send it in. He said, don't send it in, bring it in. And so I brought it in and I had, and my husband came with me and we showed him some of his pictures and everything. And um, the editor said, I'll buy it just like that. I mean, times were simpler, I guess. That's all you can say. So that got me rolling. Mm. Well, I mean, I think two big takeaways there for people too are, are you know, picking up the phone and yeah. actually, because if you would have just emailed them, they might would have never responded. And there then also just the power of getting in person. Then. What's that? I said there wasn't even email then. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> That's, great. That's crazy. So you talked a little bit earlier about building the muscle of writing. Uh, and obviously, you know, writing over 100 books and, you know, children's book, young adult books, and then, you know, all the way to your your most recent book, Light on Bone. Uh, how, like... Here, I should show you the cover. I love the cover of my book. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I was going to ask you, so actually, let me side road on the cover and then we'll come back to building the, the, the muscle of writing. What was the thought process behind that cover? I was just, I was looking at all your books on Amazon. And it looks like a lot of your other books have a very similar style of cover. And this, this seems to be very different. So yeah. what was the thought process behind that? Well, first of all, this is a grown-up book and not a kid's book. And it's a murder mystery. And because it features George O'Keefe, the famous um, painter, as what you call in the business an amateur sleuth. And, you know, she spent a lot of time out in the Southwest, in New Mexico. 
So that was a landscape that really inspired her. So, um, you know, I wanted something of the landscape. I wanted um, a sort of, well, this sounds like a contradiction. I wanted a sort of darkness or foreboding quality, but I didn't want it to be a black cover. So I just, and those sunsets out there are so beautiful. And so, and it, the title is Light on Bone, and she painted a lot of bones. So there's a cow skull down here. And so, you know, I related all that to the art department of the publisher, and they thought those were good ideas, and they sent me several, um, well, I would say at least six or eight possible covers. And I, I went uh, with this one because I just thought it sort of captured it, you know? Yeah, it looks great. And for those who are watching on the YouTube channel, uh, you can see it. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, you can just check out the book Light on Bone uh, on Amazon or wherever you uh, purchase books. Catherine, what, how do you, you said, hey, this is a grown up book. So it needs to be different. How do you think about covers differently if you're doing a children's book or young adults book or a grown up book? How how do you do you do anything? Yeah, how do you think about that? Well, that's really, um, you know, it's sort of a question for the publisher. But um, with a children's book, uh, I didn't want anything too abstract. I, um, with this light on bone, it can be more abstract. Uh, I want something that, you know, immediately grabs their attention. Now I've written so many books about animals and like the, um, guardians of Gahul. Well, it was obvious that they would need, can I get up a minute and just get my book so I can show it? You got it. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, we got the Guardians of Gahul, which is the series that's the ultimate series that got uh turned into a movie. You can kind of see if you're, yeah, if you're here, it is. Well, look, of course, you know, it's an owl, and what is more intriguing, it just grabs your attention full on than the face of an owl. So, all of all 15 of these books have owls on the cover in some way. I mean, mm -hmm. it just, uh, I think it's an immediate connect for kids. Mm -hmm. the cover. So that's, um, I hope I answered your question. That makes sense. So putting something on the cover that's intriguing and captures the, captures the attention of the intended audience. And it sounds yeah. like with, with the kids book, it's like, Hey, there's an owl. It's an intriguing image. They know that it's an animal book. And if they like owls, they're interested in that. Yeah. And then, you, yeah. and then with light on bone, it's, it's a tie-in to the theme of the book and there's intrigue and that sort of thing. <laughs> that makes sense. So how, uh, so kind of back to the writing muscle question. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it, I mean, obviously extremely prolific as a writer and as an author, how have you built that muscle and how is that muscle different depending, like how do you approach these books differently, whether you're writing a children's book, young adult book, adult mystery? Well, um, with a children's book, 
you know, there might only be 1,300 words in it, if that. Um, so, you know, it always starts out with you have to have a story, no matter whether it's for kids or adults, with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Now, you don't necessarily have to stick religiously to that. I mean, you can have an idea for the beginning and that can change, but you got to start out with a beginning, middle, and an end. And I kind of, it's like making a sketch of the book in a way, or a very faint outline, which you can always change. And that's the same with every book, whether it's for kids or adults. And then I, the, um, it gives you a map of sorts and you move from one point of, on the map to another. By the end of a book, I might have as many as a dozen outlines and they keep getting longer and longer because you keep adding to them and say, oh, well, I could do this here in the middle of the book or that. So I, these elaborate outlines, granted, it's not so elaborate for a 1000 word picture book. Mm. But mm -hmm. you keep writing these outlines and um, following them up. And I, I guess that's it. But, you know, the outline, they become the roadmap for you. Yeah, that makes sense. And so would you say, because, I mean, I, you know, you've probably heard the expression of there's plotters and pantsers. There's, and for those who are listening and aren't familiar, it's, you know, plotters like to plot everything ahead of time. I think the most... Most, uh, I'm trying to remember most famous, we've got a blog post on this, but it's like most famous plotter and the most fa famous pantser. And I can't remember Stephen King, uh, I feel like it's maybe a pantser and the James Patterson is maybe a plotter. But so plotter likes to plot everything ahead of time. Pantser is kind of like the more right by the seat of their pants and develop the story as it comes. Do you feel like you fall, are you a, a plotter or a pantser? And does that change based on the type of book that you're writing? No, I think I'm a little bit of both. Uh, I think I I kind of plot it out, but then there's many places where I go by the seat of my pants. And, uh, and I think you have to be able to switch between those two archetypes, if you want to call them that. Right now I've finished the uh, first draft of the second um George O'Keefe book. It's called um, Mortal Radiance. And now I'm into the pantser part. I have beginning, middle, and conclusion, but I got to fill it out with more intrigue. And there could be a second murder that might happen mm. <laughs> on, um, you know, th things get a little bit more intricate when you're in the pantser part. Uh, yeah, so, so that, so I do both, but it starts with being the plotter. Got it. Okay. So primarily a plotter and then you've got some, some kind of, uh, ability to write by the seat of your pants as you work through the plot. And then it uh, sounds like even time together in the multiple books, I'd love for you to speak on that. I mean, you've obviously done a bunch of series and that's a, as a, a fiction author or children's book author that has writing any series author, the one of the most important numbers is your read through rate. Right. Yeah. And what percentage of people who read book one are going to read book two, 
percentage you're going to read book two, read book three, things like that. Is there anything that you've learned or that you do to increase that read through rate or to get people to kind of keep coming back from book to book? Well, in the children's books, I've written, I've written a book, a series about owls. I've written one about wolves, horses. I got one coming out about beavers, second one in the series. And um, there's always some unfinished business that's pretty obvious in the children's books. So, you know, I know I'm going to pick it up there. Um, with the George O'Keefe, because I'm just on the second book, uh, I don't know exactly what the unfinished business was. It's set in historical times, which is considered historical, the 1930s in the lead up to World War II. So that leaves a lot of things that can happen. The first book was set in 1934. This one is in 35. And so there is a kind of timeline to follow up to, you know, 1941 when we got into World War II. so there is, that's good. That, that's good. That gives me something to rely on. You know, I love doing historical fiction. I wrote a whole lot of historical fiction for kids. What do you like about it? Well, the plots are there. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's history. Mm-hmm. So the characters are there. Um, I wrote a series for Scholastic called Dear America. And, oh, my God, that was a, so much fun to do. I had mm. one, well, they were set in all different times, one in the Depression, one in about the Pilgrims, and then they continued it into something called the Royal Diaries. Oh, and I'm just a fiend for history. I love history. I particularly love English history, so I wrote one about Queen Elizabeth I. And then I wrote a tri- time travel one that was set in Tudor England and here in the United States. That's cool. So it sounds yeah. like some of the historical fiction, you know, you've got your, you've got your plot, you've got your characters. Yeah. You almost have like this canvas that you can work with. Yeah. Uh, and that's and actually well, the way I sort of feel with Light on Bone, because it is historical, the 1930s. I got the plot. I got the characters. There's Roosevelt. There's Hitler. There's all sorts of people. Mm. So maybe switching gears just a little bit. And then I want to talk about the new book and, and uh, a few things there. What um, you got the owl series. So uh, turn into major motion picture. How, How did you do it? How did that happen? I think this, this is like everyone's dream, right? And, we just had a, a, a Sarah McDermott come on episode 191 of the podcast and talk about like turning your book into a script. And it's this thing that keep, I feel like keeps coming up. We had Stephen Pressfield on the podcast. He's talking about turning his book into a movie. And just it's a question that keeps getting asked and things that thing that I think a lot of people are interested in. How'd you do it? Well, I have an agent, a movie agent. And so she did it. And um I know it surprises 
a lot of people. I didn't have to do too much because they don't want the author to do too much. They kind of take it over. But she worked a very good deal for me um, where uh, I got to be, what do they call it, associate producer. So Oh, cool. Yeah, so I got I got paid that separate from the rights they paid for. Oh, um, that's smart. So uh, associate producer assumes that you can raise your voice every now and then say, hey, I don't like that. That's about all I could do. <laughs> I didn't have to turn the book. They had to. And, um, you know, there was things they did that I wouldn't have done. But I'll tell you, it was so beautiful. I just couldn't complain. It's the most beautiful animation I've ever seen in a movie. I, I would just say it's the most beautiful animated movie ever. It was made by um, an Australian, well, Warner Brothers was the producers, but mm -hmm. uh, they hired um, Animal Logic, which is a company uh, that does animation. And they're in Australia, and they are absolute geniuses. And so it's not like I had to write Hollywood myself and convince them of this at all. It mm. all kind of fell into place, actually. I think what happened was one of the big producers at Warner Brothers found her kids' books who had my books on the Alice of the Hool and her kids mm -hmm. were reading them like crazy. And so she went to my agent and, you know, the rest is history. It was great. It was great. There were things I didn't like about the movie, but I won't tell them you those things because <laughs> I think that the movie itself is just a masterpiece. Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. Yeah, so it was the same agent. Is that typical? The same agent that works with you on your books will we'll, we'll shop it to movies? Or is no, it, is no, no. Uh, I have two agents. Actually, I have three agents. I have a children's book agent and I have a grown-up book agent. And then I have a movie agent who can do both children and boys. So it was my movie agent who did the album. Mm, got it. So it was a so that's that's interesting, and I think probably helpful for people to understand kind of the structure when you're traditionally publishing a large volume of books. So you said you've got a kids' book agent uh, or children's book agent that shops the children's books. You've got an adult book agent or grown-up book agent, and then you've got a uh, a movie agent yeah. specifically who does 
both sides. <laughs> got it. Got it. And so is that person shopping some of your other books or is like, is that a priority to keep turning some of your books into movies? Well, yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, and she keeps trying, but as you know, it's very hard. And Hollywood's in a very weird state now with the streaming and the, all that. I mean, I don't know what's going on out there. Yeah. But she keeps trying. She sends a lot of things in. Sometimes we get a nibble. Sometimes, well, I've had, and I've had options. I did a grown up book years ago under a pseudonym um, called Night Gardening. And it's under um, the pseudonym of E.L. Swan and uh, S W A N N. I think it's in like its eighth, uh, what do you call it, uh, option. This has been going on for 20 years now. I don't think it'll ever. But oh. the options, you know, the first option was pretty big. They keep going down, but it's still out there in play. Some, some and for those who aren't familiar, an option is basically, okay, we have the ability to turn this into a movie and we've got a one-year option. Or, yeah, and we'll then, pay you for that. Yeah. Got it. Oh, yeah. so they keep paying you for the ability to turn it into a movie. And renewing the option, but they still haven't turned it into a movie. Yeah. So um, the option isn't as big as it was 20 years ago. And then they try to whittle you down and do this. But you feel, well, at least it's out there in circulation. Yeah. yeah. Somebody might stumble across it. That's really interesting. So let's talk about the new book, Light on Bone, Adult Mystery. Uh is this the first adult mystery that you've done or have you done? No, I had done a series years ago um, about a very different from, from this book. It, it's about, wait a minute. It's uh, about uh, a children's book illustrator who lives in Cambridge. It's sort of almost my life except I don't draw. And she starts solving murders, mysteries. She keeps stumbling uh, upon bodies and things like that. And so uh, I did four of those. They sold pretty well. And then I just got tired of doing them. And my children's book wasn't in high, uh, book career wasn't in high gear at that point. And then it did get in high gear, especially with the Guardians of Gahul Al books. Um, and uh, so I didn't do them for a while, for a long time. And then I don't know, something just made me come back. And I thought, I don't want to do those. But I always loved Georgia O'Keeffe as a painter. And her life was so interesting. And I thought, boy, that would make good thing um you know amateur sleuth that's what they call it when you're not a regular policeman or detective or something like that you're an amateur sleuth so your day job is totally different from this and and that was fun and i also love the southwest so i just thought that would be a new territory to set it in and um george o'keefe was uh 
she she stumbles, she goes out there, and it's a sort of critical time in her life. She'd been out there before, but it was the first year she stayed at the ghost ranch. And she stumbles across a dead body in the desert, and it is uh, the body of a priest. And um, so so it all begins. But it's right <laughs> in the 1930s, so there's German spies around and all this kind of stuff. A few um, characters, real-life characters show up, like uh, Charles Lindbergh and his wife. Mm-hmm. and. Um, it's interesting. I've written a lot of books about World War II for kids, YA books. So I I know about a lot about World War II. So it's always fun to be able to use um, some knowledge that you've had because you've been exploring things and come use up with knowledge, but in a different format. In a different format, right. Yeah. And George O'Keefe herself was such a fascinating character i mean i just loved her so that's let's talk about maybe you know so i i I think what's fascinating to me is you know with children's books you've got all right you've got two kind of buyers right you've got the parent so it's like you're you're, it needs to be compelling enough that the parent wants to buy it and the kid wants to read it yeah and then with a, you know with a with an adult mystery or any grown up books it's, it's it's just way more straightforward. So how have you approached kind of light on bone like both the positioning, I guess the marketing, the that sort of thing? How do you look at that differently from the way uh, that you look at kind of marketing your children or young adult books? Well, with the children's books, you're really basically, especially until they get to be YA books. You're marketing to the parents and largely to the moms. More moms belong to book groups, book groups that have you know moms and children in them or women's book groups, whatever. So you're basically marketing to them. And I, you know, I don't do the marketing, but I was sort of lucky a large part of my career. I've been involved with Scholastic, and they are dynamite in marketing because they have Scholastic book fairs. And you can sometimes see those big 18-wheeler trucks going around the country, and they're the book fair trucks, and they're bringing thousands of books to a public school that is having a book fair and of course, they allow the school to share in the profits. So that is automatically made. There is nobody that has a marketing machine like Scholastic. So for the other books, they have, you know, it's just marketing departments, which and publicity departments, which vary. So especially these days, and with the pandemic, uh, you you just can't rely on that much i mean you have to try and figure out a way to do the marketing yourself and i'm not very good at that i really Mm. i'm not and so i don't know what i'm doing in that respect i'm appearing on this show please (laughs) email your friends uh I put up little interesting tidbits of find on my website, katherinelasky.com. But 
I'm basically a lousy marketer. I'm a good interview, but I'm a lousy. But you know, I can't write my own ad copy. Yeah, I don't know how to go about that. What I mean, how do you think you've sold so many books then? If I mean, if if, if I mean, you, I mean, you're obviously a great writer, but there's a lot of great writers whose books don't sell. Right? How, how do you think Not you sell all of mine sell that well either? Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, I, I how do I sell so many books? Well, Scholastic Book Fairs, but Scholastic just does children's books. They don't do grown-up books. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the um, publicity and um, whatever you call it, department of these marketing departments of big publishers. I I try to give them ideas and I hope they listen and all of that. But I, yeah. whether they do, I don't know. It's very yeah. hard. Yeah. Any um any lessons? Well, hmm. Cause you said so, you know, not all your books sell well. What what I guess maybe outside of the book that was turned into a movie, well. they don't all sell well. Yeah, most of them sell well. Yeah, and so what? Like any, I guess any, because I, I think that's pretty common as an author, right? And a lot of people think, oh, if someone's a successful author, all of their books must do well. But it's no. the eighty twenty principle. You know, there's going to every author, no matter how successful, is going to have a couple of those books that just outsell all the other ones. Have you noticed any commonalities? with your books that sell a lot more copies or any rhyme or reason that you've seen behind the ones that sell a whole lot more? Not really. I I don't. And um, I, I, I mean, I think animal books sell pretty well. I've done a lot of animal books and I'm starting to think now, see, a lot has changed in the children's book world. Where, and I think this is right in some ways, but in other ways, I don't. They they are trying to find books that have more, by more people of color. And by, and books that deal with um, transgender, gay people, and all of that. And I think that is vital. Uh, I myself don't think that you have to be black or Asian or trans or bisexual or gay to write that book because writing is essentially an act of imagination. And you can't tell me that I can't imagine what that is like. I can't. I'm I'm an artist. I'm a writer. Uh, I had a great idea for a book that was sort of sci-fi-ish. And it was about two sisters, but one was a clone of another one, of a a regular non-clone person. And they meet up. They hadn't ever met. They'd been kept separate. And when they meet up, you know, this is an interesting situation, but the clone, they're both girls, they, the clone feels that she's transgender. So when that was pitched to the publishing house, 
the editor said something like, well, no, we can't take this because Catherine's not transgender. And I asked my agent, I said, how do they know? How do they know I'm not transgender? And, you know, my agent said, well, that's a good question. How do they know? I mean, I'm not. But I just thought that's just very limited way of thinking about writing Hmm. and how somebody writes and why they write and Hmm. all of that. But uh, I do understand we need more books out there that deal with those subjects. Now, whether the person who writes them is the right color or not, as long as they're a good writer, I don't see why not. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I guess similarly to how, you know, not having a, for you to write a book about World War II, you you know, not having to have fought in World War II, but be able to study that and write that and capture that and crystallize that uh, into uh, your writing. That's I've written five books about World War II, and nobody asked, has ever asked me if I fought in it. Hmm. But I was a huge history buff as a kid. I was fascinated. Mm-hmm. My my uncle was in the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, my uh, aunt was away, the Women's Auxiliary something or other force during the war. My much older cousin was in Patton's Army. I grew up reading all those books. Hmm. I didn't. Well, hey, tell me about um, what type of person uh, would like uh, or is the book is the new book ideal for? So light on bone, what type of person might be interested in that? Where can people go buy it? Uh, well, they can buy it on one. Amazon. Uh, light on bone. I think women in particular would like it. I think history his, uh, buffs would like it. And certainly art history people would love mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a peek into her inside life, her interior mm-hmm. life. And I I read immense amounts of stuff about George O'Keefe. So, but I particularly think, well, I thought it was mostly a women's book. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking that because I'm getting a lot of emails from guys and um you know so amateur sleuths yeah amateur sleuths i don't know but i'm like i mean do you think that demographic is interested in it and i mean maybe is that the commonality of the guys who are reading it is they that that's something that they're personally interested in therefore they that that's interesting to them about the book oh about the amateur sleuth aspect I don't know whether that would particularly appeal to men more than women. I think um, just that it's grounded in a fascinating historical period. And there are plenty of men in the book, too. Yeah. Um, So I think that's it. But, uh, yeah, anyhow, who knows? I'm not, you know, a marketing analyst or whatever. Well, Catherine, this has been awesome. Uh, what would be uh, your parting piece of advice 
knowing what you know now, 100 books later, to the Catherine of, you know, prior to writing your first book or any of the other Catherines out there who are thinking about writing uh, their children's book or adult novel or young adult fiction? Well, that's interesting because I think my advice would be don't follow the market. Don't, because this is the rage now, think you have to write about that. Don't follow the market. Follow your own instincts about what you feel makes good writing. And what I feel makes good writing is a subject that really seizes you, that you can live with for years, months, whatever. And that if you have procedures that work for you, like for me, outlining is very important, but I'm not bound by it. I'm flexible. And one of the first things I do to get rolling is I write the book jacket copy because book jacket copy is fabulous. It's usually a hundred words or less, and it's kind of gets the pithiness of the story. What's going to grab a reader. So first you write that book jacket copy. Then you expand that into some sort of outline. And then you might be expanding it into subsequent outline. Mm. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's a fun process. Yeah, it is. It is. That's smart. Well, hey, uh, thank you so much, Catherine. This is amazing. Light on bone. Uh, Check it out on Amazon or anywhere you buy books. Uh, Catherine, thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you can be listening to, YouTube channels that you can be watching. Uh, So thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode. All right. Number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast, wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, And then number three, this is probably the most important, uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right. Reviews are super important and help the podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, So number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that, I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right, all you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book, Published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step, so how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.